Well, good morning, church, and thank you so much for being with us. Happy summer. The summer is finally here. The June month is upon us, and I just have to say that I love just living through the seasons. I think it's the Lord's way of just allowing our bodies to like naturally have the rhythms of life. And summer just happens to be one of my favorite seasons. I think um, one, because I love to be outside. I love the water. Um, I love that there's no school. I always thought like, hey, Maybe it's because I'm a student, that's why I like the summer so much. But I still love the summer, even though I'm not a student. I love that my kids are home with me um, and not at school every day. I love, um, I love that my birthday is in the summer. And um, it's just such a great season to kind of rest, recover, uh, recreate, re enjoy recreation, enjoy um, being in life. And that's um, as we kick off the summer as a church, I wanted to encourage you with this word today. I feel like sometimes when we approach the summer, we can get so busy with getting our kids involved in like summer schools or different um, programs, or maybe we've got some really amazing vacations planned, but then we always come home from the vacation, needing a vacation from the vacation if you know what I mean. Um, but this morning, it's just simply an invitation to allow some time this summer to allow your soul to rest, to stop the hurriedness of life, and to, as some would say, allow your soul to catch up with you. Um, there is this story at the height of the British colonization, um, a British traveler goes to Africa and his story goes like this. An English traveler lands in Africa intended on a rap intent on a rapid journey into the jungle. He charters some local porters to cart his supplies. After an exhausting day of travel, all on foot and a fitful night's sleep, he could, he gets up to continue the journey, but the porters refuse. Exasperated, he begins to cajole, bribe, and plead, but nothing works. They do not move an inch. Naturally, he asks why. Their answer, they are waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. Letty Kalman, in her telling of this story, said that the whirling, rushing life, which many of us live, um, does what the first march did for those poor jungle tribalsmen. The difference is they knew what they needed to restore life's balance. And too often, we do not. John Donahoe, who also quotes uh, this story, he says, we have moved too quickly to reach here, and now we need to wait to give our spirits a chance to catch up with us. And that's simply what we mean by allowing our souls to catch up. Like we can be so hurried and so busy, and this is our, this is normal life. Like I'm not talking like, you know, like this is how we all live and we get, we, we excel and we exceed so quickly and we just need time to let our souls catch up with us. And that's to this morning, the invitation that I believe that Jesus gives to us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke 
upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me ask you this morning, do you feel weary? How about burdened? What what about like a deep down bone tired, tiredness, restlessness that that won't be satisfied? I want to encourage you this morning. um, Number one, take up the easy yoke of Jesus. I want to read that again, but I want to read the message version. Are you tired, worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and I'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The Lord this morning asks of you, invites you, come, come do it my way and live freely and lightly. Uh, Hebrews 1.9 says of Jesus that therefore your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. That what is said of Jesus is that he was the happiest person on earth, that Jesus, the most joyful, happy, perfect human being invites you today to take on his yoke. Um, a lot of times I, I think, you know, when I read through the gospels and, you know, I have little, I've, I've had little boys. And so kind of the way I disciple like Jesus, like we, we, we love like superhero movies. We love all the Avengers and um, we just love, love all of that. And it's so easy sometimes to put Jesus in that category, you know? And I think like, oh man, like they're awesome superheroes, but Jesus is the best superhero. Um, and, and, but when I really like, like, you know, Jesus is the savior of the world, right? So what better superhero than Jesus? But when you think about superheroes and when they go into action, they, they go in to do their thing. I mean, they're like swift, they're ready. They, 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 they rush um, to the problems. Um, they are running toward the problem when everyone else is running away. And when I think about the life of Jesus and his, the way that he lived, It was actually like opposite of a superhero. Jesus never rushed or ran to a situation like, oh my gosh, we're in trouble. We better get there quick. I better heal that person or save their life. They're going to die without me. Like Jesus never did that. And so many times in the gospel, we see that Jesus actually acted countercultural, that Jesus was doing the opposite of what everyone else was doing around him, that Jesus's rhythm and Jesus's way of life was completely opposite of others. Jesus's rhythms were entirely different in counterculture. Jesus was sleeping on the boat when everyone else was freaking out. Uh, Jesus was praying when everyone was asleep. When people came to him for, for like, Lord, Lord, your best friend Lazarus, he's dying. You got to come quickly. The word says that Jesus waited. He waited a few days. He grieved. And then he made his way to Lazarus. He didn't rush. Um, and I believe it's so that 
the people could experience God's glory on a greater level. Like Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. But um, we see Jesus at times, he didn't even run and, and go and solve the problem. Uh, when, when the Roman centurion uh, came to him and said, my daughter is sick and, and will you, will, you know, and, and instead of Jesus going and solving and helping and healing, the, the Roman centurion says, I know that just one word from you, that you could heal my daughter right here, right now. And Jesus said, because of your faith, your daughter is healed. Jesus didn't even have to rush off um, to be physically present, but just his word alone brought healing. And so um, this morning, I know that, um, you know, with doing ministry and, and doing good things for the Lord, it's so easy to get caught up with. Like, I, I have to do this for God and I have to be task oriented and I need to go help them and I need to pray for them and I need to be here. But I believe um, we can take this quote from Dallas Willard, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. When John Ortberg called Dallas Willard and said, how do I become all that God has called me to be? How do I grow into all that he has for me? He calls Dallas Willard and asks him, and this is the advice he gives, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Because he knows that hurry and that rushed spirit is, the, is a spirituality killer. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not his rhythm and that is not his yoke. Uh, I am at my worst when I am rushed. Um, I am at my worst with my family when I'm rushed. I am my worst at the church when I am rushed. I, am, I, I forget things. I lack creativity. I lack wisdom when I am hurried. Um, I, I lack inspiration. Can anybody else relate when we have no margin and we're so hurried? Um, we are at our worst. My mom, uh, she was a checker at a grocery store for many years, like 15, 20 years. And one of the stories she had was she was helping this little old lady. You know, she was going, the little old lady was taking her time. And, and behind this little old lady was this like, this man and he was kind of like oh, looking at his watch and he's like pounding on the, you know, the, the counter, like just really frustrated. And the lady went to pay and she had the cash and she's digging around for her change. Cause she, you know, I don't know. I, I guess she didn't have a credit card or whatever. So she's looking for the amount she's taking forever. And the guy finally was like here. And he paid her entire bill. Like I'll pay for it. Here it is. And he gives my mom the money, clears out the lady. My mom's able to kind of close out the, the bill, get her in the bag, you know, get her stuff in the bags and clear her out. But the guy was like, oh my gosh, you know, so frustrated. And my mom looked at him like, that could have been your mother. You know, you, would you treat your mother like that? Would you want somebody to treat your mother like that? And here this guy is, I mean, the lady kind of needed the money, right? But because he was so rushed, so hurried, and in his hurriedness, he was so harsh. And I think like, my gosh, like it's easy to hear that story and laugh or maybe even judge it. Um, but how many times in my hurriedness, how many times in our hurriedness do we 
force and rush and are, are we harsh with people? Um, and I'm reminded that love is not hurried. Love is patient. This is the way of Jesus. And so this morning, I just want to give us a little assessment. You know, this is Sunday morning church. So let's take a quiz. Um, I'm going to read some signs of hurried sickness. We all, we all know what hurry is and we all know what it is to be stressed and rushed. But here are some tall tale signs, okay? One, irritability. You get mad or frustrated or just annoyed way too easily. Anyone? Normal people have to tiptoe around you. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is one minor comment to hurt your feelings or to send you off in a, um, or a grumpy me email to set you off or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. Number three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down, you rest and you can't relax. You give Sabbath a try, but you hate it. You read scripture, but you find it boring. You have quiet time for God, but you can't focus your mind. Um, restlessness. Number four, workaholism or just nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop or worse, you can't stop. Another hour, another day, another week. Um, your drug of choice are accomplishment and act accumulation. Um, number five, emotional numbness. You don't, you just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain or your own pain for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have the time for it. You live in the kind of constant fake. Number six, out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and your calling. You're always getting sucked into tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive and not proactive. You're busier than ever before, yet you still feel like you don't have time for what really matters for you. Number seven, you lack care for your body. You don't have the time for the basics. Eight hours of sleep at night, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked meals, uh, minimal uh, just stimulants like margin. You gain weight and you get sick multiple times a year. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When you're too tired um, to do what's actually life-giving for your soul, we each turn to a distraction of choice, whether it's overeating, over-drinking, binge-watching Netflix, social media, browsing, surfing the web, uh, looking at porn, your preferred uh, cultural narcotic. Um, number nine, uh, slippage of spiritual disciplines. If you're anything like me, when you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for your soul are the first to go rather than your first go-to, such as quiet time in the morning, scripture, prayer, uh, worship, Sabbath. And number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul on those rare times when you actually stop and pray. You're so stressed and distracted that you can't, that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy the Father's company. Um, I'm sure you can relate with 
with some of those things, with any of those things, but those are some good things to go in through your mind. Like, how am I hurried? This is a good hurriedness test and hurriedness is a sickness. I think today, if you, um, there's so much information out there today um, about technology and how uh, cell phones and the technology of just being on our phones all day is numbing us and dumbing us. Um, mental illness and, and depression and anxiety is at an all-time high. There's even articles that say burnout is like a like a new phenomenon like it's happening to so many people like back in the day it just used to happen to like like day traders who had a really stressful job of trading stocks and losing millions and millions or or maybe a, a, an ER doctor would experience burnout but what they're finding today is that the general population is experiencing burnout like never before and that they're not even recovering um, the same way like you don't have a burnout and just recover from it like you are changed from a burnout and i think it's because we don't um, especially as christians um, we are not living the way that christ has called us to live um, number two Jesus doesn't just invite you to rest. He gives you the equipment. Um, every rabbi in the day of Jesus had two things. The first thing is a yoke. And um, when I say yoke, I don't mean the yoke that you put onto oxen. It's more of a figurative thing than a literal thing, but it's a word picture. And a yoke was the way that that particular rabbi interpreted the Torah, how they, how they, um, how their teachings on the way to shoulder life's, the weight of life's problems. Um, their teachings would be on how, like they would show you how to be a human. They would show you their thoughts and their teaching on marriage, on divorce, on finances, on um, government, on conflict, resolution. And so a rabbi had a yoke and the yoke was his thoughts on these things. And a yoke is a picture of two oxen being yoked together. And this is how you would shoulder the load. And a rabbi had a yoke to give to his followers how to shoulder the load or the weight of life. So every rabbi had a, a yoke. Jesus was not uncommon to say yoke. Um, but what was uncommon that Jesus said when he said, take on my yoke, is that his yoke was easy. Um, and so Jesus invites us to take his easy yoke. The other thing that um, every rabbi had in Jesus's day, um, that was disciples or apprentices. And the apprentices, um, simply put, an apprentice, Jesus's disciples would, one, be with Jesus, two, become like Jesus, and three, um, do what he would do if he were you. So you begin to just think and act and look and do exactly like Jesus. Frederick Dale Bruner said, a yoke is an instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need the least. 
They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his sermon on the mount, his yoke will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way that we have been living. Do you see the genius of Jesus's invitation for you and me today? He gives us equipment, the equipment of his yoke, a better way to live. So there are a few practices that we see all throughout the Gospels, and I'm just going to go through them briefly. Um, I wish we had more time to dive into them, um, but we'll just talk about how Jesus and how we can take on his yoke by looking at his example and doing what he did. The first one is silence and solitude. We see after Jesus is baptized um, that in Matthew chapter 4, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, uh, tell these stones to become bread. Um, How many of you have read this? I I know I've read this uh, scripture many times, and you see that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And the wilderness, that word wilderness, could be, um, it's translated, it could be desert, a deserted place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place, wilderness. Um, You see, Jesus was led to the wilderness. Every time I read this, I think, okay, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And then he's got to go hungry for 40 days, and he's all alone for 40 days. And when he's hangry and vulnerable and like, oh, at his weakest, like, then the enemy comes and and tempts him. Um, but, But maybe... Maybe um, I've had that interpretation wrong. You see, maybe Jesus was led into the wilderness because it was there and only there that Jesus was at the height of his spiritual powers. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting and being in that quiet place that he had the capacity to take on the devil himself and walked away unscathed. You see that wilderness, that isolate, that silence and solitude, prayer and fasting that Jesus had the spiritual capacity and strength to face anything. Um, Richard Foster said this of solitude, loneliness is inner emptiness, solitude is inner fulfillment. In solitude, we're anything but alone. In fact, that's where many of us feel most connected to God. Um, So many times in scripture, we see Jesus, um, no matter what, no matter if he's really tired, if it's end of the day, we'll see Jesus walking away to a quiet place. We'll see him waking up early while it was still dark to go to a quiet place. Jesus sought after silence and solitude because it was necessary for his spiritual 
um, soul and peace and being connected to God. Um, so this is the, the yoke of Jesus for us. And we're inviting you, Jesus is inviting you to silence and solitude. Um, number two, Sabbath. Sabbath is more than just a way of being in the world. It is a spirit of restfulness that comes from abiding and living in the Father's presence all week long. That was a, a definition by John Mark Homer that we are just resting in the Father, abiding in Him. Jesus took time to Sabbath. And we have a list here. I want you to kind of check it out. But we could frame Sabbath like this. We have restfulness and restlessness. And there's the contrast that we see when we have restfulness, we have margin. Restlessness, busyness. Slowness, hurry. Quiet, noise. Deep relationships, isolation. Time alone, crowds. Delight, distraction. Enjoyment, envy. Clarity, confusion. Contentment, discontentment. Love, anger, joy, sadness. Peace, anxiety. Working from a place of love, working for love. Working from a place of contribution, working as accumulation and accomplishment. As I read through those lists and as we're talking about the Sabbath, which one resonates with you more? Which one do you feel like, hey, I abide in this? And no condemnation, no guilt. If you find yourself on that side, the, the, the restlessness, it's our human nature and it is our digital world and the way things are rigged that it, I think we just naturally were prone to that. And that's why Jesus is saying, I have another way. Um, Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Did you catch that? You must work hard to rest well. I don't think that means like do a bunch of work before you can have a good day off. I think that means like make a conscious effort to remain in rest, to rest well and, not, and to guard rest. Um, it just won't happen by itself. You've got to set a date, make a time, set boundaries and limits around that day. Uh, A.J. Swoboda is known for his extensive work on, uh, on the Sabbath. And he says this, It is not that we don't love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. We have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. Um, Wow, just knowing that Jesus' yoke allows you to take a Sabbath, that when we take a rest, that we can spend time enjoying the Lord, being fulfilled in His presence. Um, it is necessary for our total being. We need a Sabbath. And the third way we can take on Jesus' yoke is by simplicity, simplicity of life. 
I think Pat's message last week of what are we holding on to and how we can just hoard stuff and things and maybe even the past um, things that were spoken of us, but what are we holding on to? And we've been told, I think we've been lied to because we've been told that the more stuff we have equals more happiness. I know, I know that my four-year-old son, or no, he's not even four, he's seven. He's gonna be seven. I know that my seven-year-old son believes this with all of his heart. Like if I just have one more Hot Wheel toy, I'm like, we have so many Hot Wheel toys. You have all the Hot Wheel toys and you want more of what you already have. It's so crazy. But what if everything that Jesus said about money and worry and anxiety and stress of this world, what if Jesus's words were true? And that is countercultural to what we understand in this world today. Uh, more stuff just means more stress, more office hours, more debt, more maintenance and more work. Uh, what if more stuff actually means less equals less of what really matters the most? Less time, less financial freedom, less generosity. What if we adopted Jesus's way of simplicity? Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermins do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe that Jesus has called us to simplify. And I know um, we just moved, and it was so stressful, because I didn't, you know, you just don't realize how much stuff that you have and and how overwhelmed by it all and and now that we've moved we moved a bunch of stuff that we didn't need to move and i'm like oh my gosh i still have to um and i believe that the lord is calling us to a simple life to simplicity don't worry about tomorrow don't worry about what you're going to wear these are the teachings and the way of jesus his yoke is easy and his burden is light and I pray that the Lord allows you some time this summer to recalibrate, to come back to Him and, and um, just find that time to rest and be in Him, um, to not be hurried, to not be rushed. Enjoy um, being with your children, enjoy the summer. And as we talk about, as we're talking about uh, hurriedness and taking on that slow, easy pace of Jesus. I'm reminded of um, one of my favorite authors, Emily P. Freeman. Uh, she writes this article and she talks about two different kinds of fire. And the first fire is, um, it's a cleansing fire. She remembers being on the highway and the fire department was doing one of those controlled burns. They had kind of mapped out the spot that they wanted to have burned. And the, the, as she was driving on the freeway, she says she rolled down the window and put her hand out and she could feel that the fire was hot. And that fire had a purpose. It was to kind of um, clear away all of the dead brush so that uh, future fires would have like less of a potential massive burn there. Um, so kill all of the dead things so that new life could grow. And that is a purifying fire. That is a cleansing fire. 
And then there's the second kind of fire, and that is house fire. You see, when a house burns down, it doesn't have that amazing like how like wood fire smell like oh i i feel like i'm sitting by the fire and making s'mores no when a house burns down it burns from the inside out and it is destructive and it burns everything in its path and that kind of smell of that kind of fire you're burning electric plastic metal and you get this nasty like chemical smell and once the fire gets calm and it burns you know it gets all cleared out and the firemen do their work you're left with a house that is still standing the structure is still intact intact and if you were to maybe walk down that neighborhood in the middle of the night and you saw the house along with the other houses next to it you might not even realize that that house had been burned down or burned you know from the inside out you wouldn't even know because the structure is still standing and this morning i would um, ask you to maybe evaluate your life what is the lord doing in your life is he doing a cleansing work is he refining you by this purifying fire that he's allowing these things to happen for your good so it can produce character and it can produce patience and long suffering and faith and can grow you to the next level or are you being burnt out are you still standing everything still looks okay but on the inside your heart is like burned and your heart is tired and your heart is weary and i believe that again that the lord has rest and an easy yoke for you and we as christians we as believers are responsible for guarding our heart we are responsible for for not getting to that place and so i want to pray for you today whether you feel like hey I've, i'm in the fire of life and i know the lord is in it or maybe i just feel burnt out and bitter um, the lord has uh, um, an easy yoke for you so let me pray um, lord i thank you god that you love us so much and that you allow uh, you allow us to go through seasons that are hard that you allow us um, you, you are producing a good work in us. And so, Lord, as we've listened to the equipment that you've given us, you've given us things like silence and solitude. You've given us things like simplicity of life. You've given us Sabbath. You've given us these gifts and these tools so that we can live life and life to the fullest. And so, Lord, right now, I pray for those that are just in the fire. Maybe they just got a little bit too much on their plate. Maybe they're they're working through some things. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage and refresh their soul. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give them strength, that they would learn the lessons that you are teaching, that new life would spring forth for the things that you have for them. And Lord, this morning, I pray for those who have passed the point, who have gone into burnout mode. Lord, your word says, come to me, all who are weary. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that we would draw near to you and that as we draw near to you, that we would experience the love of a father, that we'd experience um, you on a deeper level, Lord. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom as we 
go through our lives, Lord, and as we deal with the things, Lord, that, that come at us every day, we thank you for the equipment of your yoke, your easy burden. And so, Lord, we pray that you would encourage and strengthen us today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.